Hello, welcome to Mind and Movement, the podcast, where we discuss mindful movement through dance and through life. Today, we have the amazing Dr. Arnel Calvario, and I love this conversation. Every single time I talk to him, I feel like my soul is being healed. Uh, We talk a lot about identity, putting people first, a little bit about the history of our current dance community and how it's rooted in the collegiate system, and love-based conversations and how that's different from toxic positivity. I hope that you enjoy and thank you so much for listening. Let's get right on with it. Hello, welcome to Mind and Movement, the podcast. Today we have the amazing Dr. Arnel Calvario, and everybody knows who he is, and I just have so much respect and love for you, so let's just introduce yourself really quick, and then tell us your background. Well, first of all, Justine, um, I like I mentioned to you before, I'm just so proud of you and also inspired by you. Um, the fact that you're taking your psychology background and then, of course, just being a good person <laughs> and also, you know, being a dancer in our community. It's like you're to take all those pieces together in a meaningful way and provide a safe space to have these interesting discussions. One, it's needed. And two, I'm just so proud of and inspired by you. So thank you. So happy to be here, of course. A little bit about me. Um, I actually grew up in Harbor City which is like at the intersection of Torrance, Gardena, Carson, Wilmington, and and then on the other side of the spectrum, Palos Verdes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I love where I grew up because it was very much all about being at the parks, um, being, you know, hanging out down the block. Uh, and I grew up in, during that era in the 80s and 90s when um, hip hop was on the streets and, you know, at the parties. And um, so I grew up around that and um, where if you wanted to learn, you know, these art forms or be part of the culture, you know, you had to find an OG or find someone in your neighborhood and you learn out in the community. You know what I mean? Because a lot of these like amazing social interactions and learning wasn't in the studios at all yet. (laughs) You know, it was Mm -hmm. actually meant to be like in the community, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like, um, so it was so great. I'm so grateful to have grown up through that era, but I was super shy when I was young. So, you know, I would say I was a dance enthusiast and more more like private dancer in my house. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. But then later on in college, well, in high school, you know, I, I was part of a, a dance group that performed at talent shows and stuff. And we, of course, got down at the parties and whatnot, but but at UCI is when I felt like I finally had the courage with, you know, the encouragement of mentors and, you know, people that really were positive influences in my life. Uh, when I was a freshman, you know, I found the courage to create Cabo Modern. And that was in 92, which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's before my, t- that's before I was born. <laughs> yeah, it's totally actually like a lot of the, a lot of the dancers I meet, they're like, I wasn't even born. When Cabo Modern started, I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, you know, but um, so yeah, Cabo Modern was created in 92, and I love that whole era of, you know, uh, 
people creating thing things created for the community by the community you mm-hmm. know um I, those are like the events that i cherish the most um as as things were unfolding and and then flash forward to um after college i joined i joined culture shock la because i love culture shock's mission of outreach and empowerment and education and that's kind of what i grew up with you know as a boy scout i did key club in high school so I always enjoyed community outreach. Um, it's a big part of like my upbringing. So Culture Shock LA was like my heart for so, so, so long. Um, now I'm the international board president. Um, so I get to guide all the different Culture Shocks, but Culture Shock LA is like, ugh, like that's just, it's, it aligns with like who I um, strive to be, you know? Mm-hmm. And then uh, the people I mentored created Kinjas. <laughs> and so I'm just a part of Kinjas. You know, I don't have any leadership role in Kinjas, um, but, you know, I'm a member. That was great. And I, you know, I would say that, like, from your background to what you're doing now, you're definitely a prominent leader in the community. So I guess my first question is, uh, what would you say your approach to leadership is? Like, what is your leadership style? I think, like, when I'm working with leaders or, you know, um, like uh, other like uh, like peers, I prefer the democratic kind of leadership style where, you know, we consider everyone's opinions and then we make decisions together. But when I'm working with like dancers, like when I used to you know be a leader for Cabo Modern um, or Culture Shock LA, I love the coaching style where we're like really invested in unlocking each person's individual you know, potential and you're working alongside them to like, you know, develop. I love developing like meaningful goals with each of my dancers and then having kind of like touch bases, you know, evaluations, you you might call it where we say, hey, did you meet your goal? Not just dance goals, but just even life goals, you know, because I always feel like uh, dance is just a vehicle for, you know, enhancing life. You know, it's not, that's not the end product, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's really life. And I also, um, other styles I like too, though, is servant leadership as well, mm-hmm. um, like leading by example and being willing to jump into the trenches and do any anything I ask of other people, I'm willing to do myself. So I guess all the styles, when you think about it, they're all pretty hands-on. I'm definitely more of a hands-on leader because I just appreciate like the connection and the interpersonal. I'm definitely like, I love that. That's the whole thing with dance for me is not I'd never been a freestyler or a battler. I mean, a, a solo artist or a, or a battler, um, because everything I love about dance is communal. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I feel like, you know, because you are like a pioneer in the Asian dance community. What does it take to do that? Um, it's so interesting because I don't even consider myself one. You know, I don't consider yeah. myself a pioneer at all. Um, I just feel like I've been around for a long time. You know, since, since the '90s, and have been a contributor, a consistent contributor, because you know, because I care, and I think maybe that over time has garnered maybe people's trust or or respect in a way that they would call me, you know, a community leader. You know, yeah. so. Uh, sometimes I'm just like super humbled by it because I'm like, wow, you know, people see me that way. And I don't because I don't always like have that lens on myself all the time. But I'm often reminded by others for sure. And then I um, I very much like accept that responsibility. You know what I mean? Because I'm I'm honored by it. And so I accept it and I, I treat it pretty seriously. Anytime I'm in a role where a contribution um, where it's going to impact other people's lives, I take that very seriously. So. 
in terms of, I guess, responsibility, like, what do you think that is? Uh, the, for the first and foremost thing is caring for people as human beings beyond being a dancer or anything like caring for people as human beings. Each, each person is unique in their own way. And so I feel like sometimes we don't take the time to understand human lived experiences as much as we should, you know? And so I feel like the very first thing is whoever you choose to serve, you should know who they are as human beings. Then... You know, when you know who they are as human beings, you can figure out ways to, you know, um, support them as a dancer or as a leader or as a creative or, you know what I mean, whatever, or a health professional, because, you know, I'm in the health professional uh, industry also, like, but it needs to start first with a true, genuine dedication to, um, to committing to getting to know someone as a human being. Mm-hmm. and figuring out um, how you can best serve them um, there first. I think it takes that. That's why I can tell like when people are just kind of new, you know, because there's a sense of hurry and a sense of like almost like prod- everything's product driven versus people driven. And I don't always have like a judgment saying, oh, they're a bad leader. I'm just like, oh, they probably haven't had enough experience yet to to understand that it's actually the other way around. It should be people-centric first. And then you build those those byproducts of that commitment after. I guess like in terms of, you know, focusing on people first, there is this like step of building trust. And I think you do that super, super well. But like, what would you say is like your approach to building that trust? Because I feel like, you know, that might be hard to do sometimes. I think people have to understand that communication is not just how well you express yourself or how, how charismatic you are, or even how organized and prepared you are or whatnot, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's also the, the art of being a really good active listener, you know, being present, you know, showing, you know, whether it's through your words or your gestures or your energy, you know, that you're there, you know, that you're going to hold space for someone and be present. And so mm-hmm. I think those are things that like um, are super duper important that like really like give those pathways to succeeding in in, the, in that way of making an impact. In terms of the dance community and, you know, being such a constant within the dance community, what would you say like over the course of, you know, how you've been participating in it, how many years that is, how it's changed throughout the years and like where the dance community is currently heading? Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting because like like I said, growing up, when I was growing up in the dance community that I grew up in my neighborhoods, everything was so raw and there's definitely a sense of respect for sure. Like anyone who invested in you, you respected them as an OG or like, you know, the, the leader of the community, an elder or like, you know, um, somebody that you just have reverence for, you know, and because we're not like really like practicing or mirrors or anything, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. even when we create, there's just an energy and connection that is just so, it just brings you alive, you know? That's just so hard sometimes to capture in, in studio spaces, you know? And, and it is there too. It is there also. Mm-hmm. But there's just something, this, this like energy that is indescribable when you're kind of out in the open and also things are being created like an unfolding as, as you know, as you're living, you know? Mm-hmm. So 
in the beginning, when you think about all the teams that were created in the beginning, and first of all, they were created in college spaces, you know, and that's part of the problem, though. So the, the good thing is that, and this is what I love, I love that for myself, I created Cabo Modern and then other leaders, they, they saw something missing, an experience missing, and they created it for that community. And a lot of them started in these college spaces. But we know now from understanding systemic racism uh, in a deeper way that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, are, those spaces are not equitable. Right. People were not afforded the same access or privilege to be able to exist. And that's why when we look at all of these college campuses, it does not look diverse. No, that was a a shock for me because I grew up in diversity in my neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, And then to go to UCI and see it be all Asian and white, I was like. I wasn't used to seeing that many Asians and I definitely wasn't, didn't grow up around a dominant, you know, white presence either, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just strange <laughs> for me <laughs> in the beginning, you know? Um, and I was really shy. Like I did not ever want to be in a leadership role all throughout high school and through, and my NASA freshman. I, if I would did any leadership, I would prefer to be vice president or in my dance group, I was choreographer, never blocked myself in the front, always in the back. You know, I was shy. So, yeah, so I think it was cool that these things were being created and we were exciting and it, it blew up a lot faster than we thought because Cabo Modern started then CADC and Pac Modern and Team Millennia. They're popping up in all the culture clubs, you know, the Chinese clubs and the Filipino clubs. And then all of a sudden it was like so many groups. Wow. Um, but what was really cool about that time, though, Justine, is we were practicing in you know, parking garages and outside spaces. Mm -hmm. And we didn't mind it because we were the era that grew up dancing in the parks and on concrete, you know what I mean? At the parties. So we were used to that. That's like how, that's how we socialize and function. And it felt like family because when you're cold, when you're cold, you're cold together, you know, (laughs) we bring snacks, you know, we kind of like take care of one another. We experience everything, the highs and lows together. And that sense of belonging was like really, really, really strong at that time because you're going through all these experiences together. And I love that all the, you know, because my roommate created Vibe and then, you know, Anna Sorrell created like Body Rock. And so even these dance events, because events that existed didn't meet what we feel like dancers deserved, you know, so I love that these these um, events, you know, were created. But you know, when I think about like the drawbacks of it, it's like, you know, they're birthed from these, again, these university spaces that weren't diverse enough. So then the leaderships and all of these teams, you know, weren't diverse enough. And all even the competitions were so dumb. That's why people are like, why is it so Asian? And I never knew, but I know now. I know it's because this is the byproduct of systemic racism. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And we had a chance, man, with affirmative action, we had a chance to get it right, you know, I, I, you know, I wish, you know, I wish, I hope there's still going to be in my lifetime going to be, we're going to see things be, you know, more equitable. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I wish there was more diversity in these spaces to, from the get go, you know, right. but I, I mean, there's ideas for strategies on how to, now that things, things exist, like how do we build more, you know, more safety and inclusion with what exists already. There's a lot of work that can be done, you know, and as creatives, 
we already have that spirit of innovation, you know what I mean? To kind of um, work together, learn, unlearn, and strategize to make, you know, to make things better for everyone. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. What do you think, like an example of like how to make this space more inclusive and safe is? Well, first of all, uh, I guess the collegiate teams, you know, the ones that were born in the colleges. Yep. Um, because their spaces aren't diverse, they have to think about, well, one, they should think about what is their artistry made up of? You know, it's, it might be partly hip hop. It might be other art forms like, I don't know, Vogue, popping, waving, boogaloo, you know, it might be locking or house. So I think these teams need to, one, really think about what art forms fit the dancers that they serve. And, you know, when they think about freestyle or choreography, um, those are, even though there's some unique movement, most of it is built on building blocks of art forms. Yep. I could look at anyone's choreography and be like, oh, yeah, there's hip hop, a little bit of house and oh, maybe a little light beat in there, you know. So I think teams, teams and groups and crews and groupings of dancers need to really think about like what what art forms are the building blocks and then go deeper into understanding, okay, what, who are the people? What is the music? What is the history and heritage of these art forms? So that you can really understand, like, how are we going to shape the training and the expression of these art forms? And if, if it was, well, most art forms are almost all are like black created, you know what I mean? So yeah. if there's no one black on your team, <laughs> you can bring someone in that is, you know, from the culture, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think, and you're starting to see that now, you know, which is great because the response has been great of people asking questions and things, like really looking at how they can do better. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really hope that once things are open and we're in person, that it's not just this dialogue that we were, where we've been having on all these forum discussions, but I see the leaders really follow through with bringing in if there isn't you know diversity within your team and you're doing art forms that are created from people that aren't represented on your team that you bring people from that culture to train you and help you gain that understanding before you perform again you Mm -hmm. know what i mean so i think that's like super important (laughs) Yeah. yeah And we're lucky in this age too to have technology, right? There's like, it's at our fingertips. You can even like, there's so many interviews and and so many videos of people who live in the culture of these art forms that you can learn from even in the meantime, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think when we had like that, that sense, that spirit of hip hop, the golden era, all the way through the 90s into the early 2000s, mm-hmm. it literally switched like mid 2000s, so 2005, when Facebook and then li- and then after that YouTube and then later on Instagram, mm-hmm. um, and then of course Twitter, and then now we have TikTok and all these others, you know. Mm-hmm. When social media came about, everything went from uh, 50 miles per hour to 225 miles per hour you know what I mean like and people became a very like product driven and so all of those efforts to train you know and understand culture was starting to get lost because people were more interested on the on the byproduct which is you know performance or you know what mm-hmm. they, like expression you know so um so yeah it changed yeah. <laughs> and um and the teams just grew yeah fast you know and some of the originality, I have to tell you, like, be honest with you, like when I would judge competitions, because 
you know, judging competitions, it's definitely an honor to do it. Like I, I always feel like, wow, I, I, I'm so humbled to even be asked and to have the opportunity to judge, but it's also a lot of, of energy and commitment. Um, yeah. If you're a good judge who's invested in like really giving people feedback. And for me, when I judge, I write hella comments because that's the only reason I judge is to give people ideas like, oh, you, I really like that, but maybe you should, you know, since if you're doing breaking choreography, you really need to just make sure everyone has a foundation and has an understanding of the essence of that art form, you know, because I can tell it's clean choreography, but it's missing the essence. So writing things like that where you're not just telling them what's wrong, but you're you're suggesting and offering ideas on how they can do better and then also move towards the lanes of appreciation versus, you know, you know, whether advertently or inadvertently you know like appropriating right yeah so. I feel like for me um because I was also on a collegiate team and like I graduated in 2019 so it's only been two years and I can remember the times of me like doing dancing and feeling like I was going to run out of time like I'm gonna graduate I have to get all these things ready that sense of like lack of time really made me be like oh like dancing I only have time for the choreography like I don't have time to like dive into the history um everything about it and so I guess like if there were collegiate teams like listening right now what advice would you give them I would say get to know your dancers first and mm -hmm. then decide what your training and your artistry is going to be afterwards <laughs> you know what I mean mm -hmm. and um because I think a lot of times when I see teams you can tell when it's just a director's throwing choreography on the dancers without respect to like maybe how they really move or or what their spirits really like you know what I mean like yep. like a good example is actually Danielle because she saw something missing in the community and then created Vimo Yes. And everyone on that team is very well aware uh, when you come to that team what the artistry is going to be and the purpose and the spirit and the essence of what she's trying to emit from the get go. So mm -hmm. and she gets to know everyone and then figures out where they like fit best, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but there are times when um, I feel like there is that rush mentality that they and I also want us to get away from calling these dance families or these, you know, um, companies like competition teams or whatever because your team is also not defined by competition yes. you know I mean? mm -hmm. your teams are defined by everything that's meaningful about your team and i think when when we go in that direction of being battle centric or competition like when that's your label or identifiers it doesn't really give you the full opportunity to like create a very well-rounded human experience mm -hmm. right because you're just everything's for competition, right? Yeah. And that's not how we're born to live. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there's a value in it. I mean, I, I even though I'm not a battlehead, do I love watching battles? Yes, you know, um, mm -hmm. competitions. Yeah, it, it, for me, it's always fun to work towards a goal and accomplish it together. You know, I've not really ever been about the trophies, but I've been about like, oh, I want that set to like look really good and for us to be proud of ourselves. Because even with Cabo Modern, I don't remember all the trophies or when we won or didn't win as much. I, but I remember the sets and I remember the rehearsals when we, and I remember the times we went out to eat afterwards. And I remember deep conversations in cars going to rehearsals mm -hmm. when people would share something that's going on with their family or like a relationship thing, you know, or it's something they're just going through good or bad, you know? Mm -hmm. So I feel like 
last year was a hard year, but it's such an opportune year for teams to really think about their identity. And that's why with LTDL, I'm all about the mission statement. Like every team should have a mission statement. And so that everyone understands like when they come onto this team or become a part of whatever grouping it is, you know, dance family team, company, <laughs> you know, crew, whatever you call it. They have a shared understanding of what it is, what it, why, it, what's the why, who do they serve, you know what I mean? What's the identity, all of those things. And from there that they can like build more meaningfully and they won't have to call themselves a competition team or, a, or even a performance team, you know what I mean? They can be more well-rounded based on like their shared commitment to this mission. So yeah, I hope that's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I hope that's going to happen too. I feel like I would like, I feel like you kind of mentioned this, but how important would you say that like identity, the role of identity is in leadership or like in teams? Oh my gosh, it's so important. It's so, so important because there was an era like right, right those mid 2000s, like 2005 to 2000, I don't know, 12 where I felt like a lot of the teams looked the same. You know what I mean? Like yep. I didn't I didn't feel like they spent time understanding their identity with the exception of certain groups. Like the ones that I feel like were doing well, like whether it's performance or doing well like very cohesive and like you could tell they're really tight or well in in, in sense of like, you know, winning competitions or whatever. Um where the teams who kind of were very solid in their identity you know what I mean? Like, um, like I think, like for example, cookies. One aspect of why cookies is amazing is their performance, but the real aspect of why they're successful is because of the connection. Because I have to say, um, you know, people always say, "Oh, their performance is so good," but they also invest in training. And like, I've come in a couple of times to teach history because they're invested in like in the heritage and the experience and how you're supposed to feel when you move together. And when I step into their space, there's a connection. Everyone is connected to each other and you, you feel it like, and it's, it's also because they also don't have auditions. You know what I mean? They, they invite people in, you know, because they, they very much are about protective that collective energy. Um, so yeah, I think that's like what, why identity is so important is because when you decide what it is and everyone understands why they have a sense of belonging, um, then it's easier to like understand why, why you're there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. also leaders can also be gatekeepers for when something's harmful or dangerous, you know what I mean? And because they don't align with that identity or that mission, you know what I mean? That they can be harmful and then they can draw boundaries or change policies or part ways from dancers that can be detrimental too. So, um, so identity is so important. And I also think like even identity individually <laughs> of people, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like making space for people to even dig deep into who they are so that they can articulate also what they need and like, like in terms of support and, and mentorship and also they understand what they can contribute also. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, that's when we also get into those concepts of like everyone also understanding the privilege, their privileges, right? Like the mm -hmm. privilege, the unique privilege that they hold 
and um, you know how that can be helpful because you can use your privilege to help others, and how it can be harmful because it's not a you know an even distribution of, of power. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, so we those are things that we really need to when we think about identity and we understand privilege. That's helpful to everyone. You know what I mean? Because you can you understand how people are relating with each other, and then we can look at um, intersectionality too, right? Like where. Um, different systems in this like ecosystem are how they're affecting each other yeah so yeah identity is so important you know how are we different how are we extraordinary and then also how do we connect yeah because identity is so important how do you suggest that people start to find their identity Mm -hmm. it's it's all about, um, for me, especially, well, college for me, and this is only for me, college is about ex- exploration and discovery. That's what it was for me. Trying a bunch of new things, meeting a whole bunch of new people, um, having these, um, all these like human lived experiences that help us understand who we are in the world too. What we like, what we don't like, how we show up as our best and how we don't show up as our best. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think people don't have to put so much pressure in knowing we're all, we're ever evolving, hopefully, you know, if we're growing. So our identity is going to change, you know, but there are things like where you are in a moment, right? Like right now where, you know, you are just and where I am. There are aspects of my identity that I do know. You know what I mean? And so taking the time to embrace those and come and come to terms with those is really, really helpful to yourself and to all the other people you connect with. Um, and then while leaving space and having compassion with yourself, that there's still lots to be learned and lots to be discovered and lots to, to kind of understand in a deeper way, you know, because it's even crazy. Like, I, I know I'm pretty sure we're both like I'm a different person today than I was January last year. Yeah like drastically, you know what I mean? Because we went through this worldwide pandemic and um, all these social movements that like a lot of us may have believed in already, like we're learning to, to, to understand them in a deeper way and uncover the things that we have to learn and unlearn, you know? So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, so that's that's good though. That's a good thing. Yeah. Um, when you're discovering your identity, you know, it comes with like a sense of exploration. And with exploration, there's kind of like almost a fear of like what you're going to find yeah. or what you're not going to find. How do you like overcome this fear? <sighs> I mean, I mean, definitely, you know, something I don't often talk about is like, I mean, I didn't come out you know, as a gay man until I was 31, you know what I mean? So there are even an identity, you sometimes have protective psyche that like, you know, when you're, especially when you're operating from a sense of fear where you're, you have this denial or this almost compartmentalizing parts of your identity because you're not ready to come to terms with it, you know, and, and what, what it might mean to your way of living, you know? So that's like a lot to kind of like hold back there and 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 be like in that sense of limbo. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really understand the sense of liberation I would have that when I came out, I would experience. I was so, I think, first I was in denial for most of my life. I just, it was just not there. You know, I had like little, you know, of course, experiences of like, you know, things that felt different and stuff, but 
but then there there was that confusion and and an intense fear you know before you come out mm-hmm. um but life completely changed afterwards and even though some of the foundations of who i was before i came out is of course there like you know a lot of my personality of course you know mm-hmm. um how i see the world and how i see myself in the world changed drastically mm-hmm. and so i always encourage people to like the whole concept of like making things happen and letting things happen. Um, there are times you have to make choices and you, you have control, but you also have to have surrender, have a sense of surrender that things are going to unfold in ways that are very unpredictable, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you find your ways to try to be, you know, graceful through the process, but it's sometimes messy and that's okay. Right. Yeah. It's okay that it's messy. Um, I think as long as we have that like growth mindset and also that commitment to being a good person, <laughs> you know, yeah. along the way, you know, it's okay. It's messy. Yeah. What was the point of like, what pushed you to, you know, take the leap and like come out? I think at, at the at the point that I came out, I had such great support around me not not for being gay but just for being a human being that I had a final sense of like all right if you know if my parents don't respond well I still have a lot of friends and people around me who are going to love me and support me you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um and I'm I'm very fortunate it all went well even though there are things that we still you know like having Catholic, <laughs> very devout Catholic parents, even till last year, there are things that we still have to smooth out for them. They still love me and they still supported me and didn't disown me or anything. You know, and we worked through it, you know, it was awesome. But that's why I also have a soft spot and empathy for anyone who goes through struggles. And, and if they don't have that, you know, I have so much empathy for them because I already know how I felt. And I always imagine if I didn't have that, like, would I have been closeted longer? Or, you know, I already had suicidal thoughts, even with all that support. And then we think about people who don't have that support and what they might be going through with their mental health. So whenever I think about what dance can be, it's for those things. It's for pathways to healing. Um, it's, it's for the human experience of helping people, you know, thrive in life and have a chance at thriving that they all deserve, that every human being deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what we can do with dance. Um, and that's way more important than <laughs> being a battle champion or being first place, <laughs> you know, whatever, you know. And those are the things people carry with them too moving forward is when people had an experience that like kind of really impacted that that changed their lives you know what i mean that like enhanced it in a way that's like so memorable i feel like you know the dance community brings people together because it has that power but that being said i i also feel like there are many different people on many different journeys in dance. And so how do you, you know, deal with the differences of people? Yeah, it's also interesting because the community in the beginning was very islandy. So you had like the industry island, the battle freestyle island, and then this performance like competition, you know, mm-hmm. island. Mm-hmm. And then over time, um, because I, I think of like 
you know, groups like, like Culture Shock, where people were now on a team together from all these islands together, that you saw a lot more mixing, you know, and then, and that's when I also felt like, oh, finally, there's a little bit more diversity, you know what I mean? Things are getting better, even though there's a long way to go, you know, um, mm-hmm. it was getting, it was, it was getting better. Um, I think that's the beauty and the challenge of, yes. of anything, because the beauty of it is when, when, when you are lucky to have diversity, you have a plethora of different wells of things to pull from and so many more pathways to learn and grow right when you have diversity because you have all these different points of views and it can be kind of shared in exchange and influence each other right and you, right. you learn a lot about yourself and you lot you learn you get a more realistic picture of what the world really is but the challenge is that you know you 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 might have leaders that are well versed in making sure that everyone in that diverse or that have different kinds of people that they're creating safe spaces and you know, spaces of inclusivity. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not always the case, you know, and often that's the problem. And there's even practices in a lot of teams that we're dismantling because we know that does not lend to safe space. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and then there's more that we can do to build more inclusion. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, there's still, there's still still a lot of work that needs to be done, you know, um, to meet the needs. You know, I, I really think it's really interesting because right before 2020, because we've been having these discussions for a long time. Like I've been teaching Roots Before Branches. I've been asking whenever there's a judge panel, like maybe we should have more diversity. And I'm not just talking about ethnicity. I'm thinking about gender as well, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and even just geographic too, you know, because California, even Bay Area and Southern California. And then even if you take the Fresno area in the middle, you know, it's like, there's so there's even geographic differences, you know, and different like stylistic influences that are, that's really cool, but they're not always represented, you know, at battles, battle judge panels or at um, competition, you know, panels or whatnot. There's definitely a lot that can be done to kind of really push and embrace, you know, diversity and inclusion. But that's why right now, like people should start first with really looking at who they are as an entity. And then evolve, like figuring out what you need to dismantle and evolve. Like, for example, archaic patriarchal <laughs> star structures, right? Like, right. we don't need that, <laughs> you know, or, or any practices where like you're, you're asking people to do things that may be uncomfortable without their consent, right? Like, that's what I'm proud. I'm proud of teams right now that I see, you know, because progress is everyone's um, progress maybe at different paces, mm-hmm. but I love that some people took these months to like bring in experts, have dialogue with people from outside their experience of their team to evolve their policies and procedures and their strategies for change. You know what I mean? Um, because we need that needs to happen. You know, like for example, I mean, not to put Cabo Modern on blast, but. You know, I, can't, I have to say that, you know, there were times where I, I feel like people were influenced to party and drink and, you know, whatever, right? Yeah. And do things that maybe they weren't comfortable with. And my era was so old school, different, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, we were drinking, but it's just so different, you know, it was, we didn't have this like, I, I like hazing-esque, you know, yeah. 
practices that I think are in some teams. And so I, I'll, I mean, I have no say over the other teams, but with Cabo Modern, you know, I was like, that, that shit needs to go, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily I didn't even have to really like slam down the hammer. They were already made that decision on their own. And I just reinforced it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I like that. I like that. I like that movement, uh, but it's going to take a lot of time because there's a lot of growth that needs to happen and everyone learns at different paces. And then that's only, that's on top of everyone just healing as human beings from the trauma of last year. There's so many layers of trauma. What, this is just an opinion, but what do you think makes some people more willing to change than others? Ah, so hard. Yeah, it's really like human lived experiences, you know, because we operate from, you know, love or fear, right? Most of the time. Mm -hmm. And I think what shapes where we operate from is our life experiences, you know, and our traumas, our healing journey, you know. So if we had like modeling and we're a part of like a love uh, and a culture and environment with our, you know, our families or the people we grew up with, our chosen family, <laughs> where there's a lot of love-based kind of interactions, then we're probably going to emit that same kind. But if we were, we had like various levels of trauma and there was a lot of anger and, and, maybe and all kinds of different abuse in the household, then it wouldn't be a surprise if we operate from a, like a, a point of fear, you know, fear-based mm-hmm. kind of thing, whether we know it or not. So that's, that's what's hard, you know what I mean? And so being willing to change is, is having the courage to, to, to be able to, to, to head in those directions because sometimes they're comfortable and sometimes they're not comfortable. Right. And so right. That, that's why like we can do some on our own and sometimes we need, a, we need help. You know what I mean? And that help can be loved ones, like your friends, families, peers, coworkers, even. Um, and sometimes it's help from a professional. In my journey, you know, I've had like group therapy, I've had counseling, you know, and that's been transformative for me because uh, I had a lot of support and like a lot of amazing people on me. But there's something about also someone that has nothing at stake. <laughs> you know what I mean? No personal connection at stake, um, except they're just invested in the goals that you decided together, you know, mm-hmm. to achieve. So yeah, there's all that. Change is hard, you know, change, change, is, hard. change is hard. Yeah. But I think um, that's why I know there's those topics of like po- toxic positivity and then love-based, right? <laughs> those right. <concepts. laughs> So I feel like what I've come to understand with love-based is that there is an investment in how the other person is going to experience our actions and our words, right? So there's a a consideration when you do love-based approach of how to present it in a way that they will be able to receive it, right? But toxic positivity really like imposes (laughs) and sometimes oppresses or minimizes a person's lived experience by saying, no matter what you're going through, no matter how dire it is, look at the bright side. You know uh, I mean? yeah. like, and that's toxic positivity because there isn't an investment in what another person's experience may be or their point of view or their perspective. You're placing yours above theirs on top of theirs or you're, you're minimizing and by just saying, you know, Oh, you're overreacting. It's like, look on the bright side. It's all good. Or you're just, you're just being dramatic right now. It's, it's really not that bad. Right. Like even I, myself last year, I mean, I used to love the hashtag good vibes only, you know, and I, 
right? And I, mm. I didn't, I always like, oh, I just love good vibes only. It sounds so nice. But then we don't think about on the other side that first of all, it's not realistic. <laughs> and two, that does not resonate with people to like, to have a standard of good vibes only minimizes or like ignores the fact that that life is is about different ebbs and flows and and a, a person feeling down or grieving or angry um, those are healthy emotions that need to happen that's part of the human experience and so we really have to watch toxic positivity and again it goes back to like really dedicating yourself to not only expressing well but being a great listener yeah being an active listener where you can build pathways to understanding because the educators that um and everyone has a right to be out there you know educating however they want and that's why it's our choice to be able to to select who we learn from right Mm -hmm. but um i worry sometimes that some educators they teach without giving pathways for understanding who they're talking to you know what i mean like i've had directors where it's dangerous you know what i mean and it's punitive. Like we, we know like, you know, team, well, like a- AOV, even though like they, you know, I'm, sh- I'm sure have had some great leaders. They also have had some, con- you know, behaviors that are very concerning where it's a punitive system. Um, people are telling you how you have to be, when you have to be, you know, and, and that's not really creating pathways, <laughs> you know what I mean? Of, understanding um and so whether it's like negative reinforcement or positive reinforcement it's all oppressive mm-hmm. right so that's dangerous <laughs> yeah i feel like the part about love and like po- toxic positivity is that yeah love is always like oh like you're okay but i feel like the parts that that's not talked about often is like love means that you're going to engage in conflict because if we're both yeah sharing our ideas you know there's definitely some some parts that need a lot of time to talk about and sometimes I feel like that's not something that's very understood yeah like love base is also working through the tension because you care about them so enough that you're going to hold space and you're going to walk you're going to talk through have these really difficult conversations and you're going to see it through what I'm concerned about is um, when people talk about really important things in a manner that doesn't allow for exchange to happen in a safe way, right? Like, I love social media mm-hmm. <laughs> and in some ways, but what I think is sad is um, when there's communications, like in, you know, comment, <laughs> comments or, you know, and it's one way and there isn't a chance to like really understand and have a meaningful dialogue that could build pathways to solutions or understanding, you know? Because I think like canceling is like important, you know, in sense of drowning boundaries. When you've had that direct communication and you've tried and tried and it's just not healthy or it's harmful or it's just not working, you know, Mm -hmm. then you can cancel to draw boundaries and part ways, right? That makes sense. But I feel like sometimes in social media, people jump right to the counseling before there's even an opportunity to have a meaningful discussion that even affords the possibility of solutions and understanding. So that's what I worry about sometimes, you know, Um, because I love that we can be connected so easily through social media. But when words appear on that comment box, it's like there's so much room because there's no tone. 
Right. There's so much room for misunderstanding. Um, someone's enthusiasm and passion for helping you understand maybe misunderstood for anger and threat. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And it's, I really want to see more direct conversations around these topics and people building solutions and understanding, even if that understanding means, or even if that solution means agreeing to disagree and saying, you're not going to, you can't coexist together, you know, intimately and you're going to part ways. That's still better than not even going through the process of holding space and trying to have dialogue, you know? I guess like, I, cause I see that too. And, you know, I was listening to the hidden brain podcast about the emotion of outrage and how like one side says something and it's either from you know excitement we can't really tell right like they say something the other side selectively chooses the information from that and because they selectively did that they missed a lot of the other stuff and then both sides start kind of like having half a story and then it becomes the cycle of like no one really knows what they're saying at some point how do we break this cycle? And then how do we use social media to, I guess, encourage better communication? Yeah, I feel like if it's with things that are like different points of view, where if you're really interested in the solution, or really interested in the education, those need to be done through direct conversations, you know, so people can state their opinions, but it needs to lead to direct conversation versus online battles. It's the same thing like that same phenomenon of like when people get in an argument and all they do is text each other and the text messages end up being hours and hours and hours when maybe if they just talked on the phone and they understood the tone and the context, maybe that could have been an hour. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, right? Yeah. So it's the same thing with social media and, and whatnot for things that especially involve emotion and it's really best done with tone. You know, whether that's on the phone or like this through Zoom. And also we have to understand safe space too, because certain, certain conversations really should be in safe space so people can really feel safe to say everything that they actually feel. And social media is not a natural place to always do that because you're, no matter what, you're subject to judgment. And you're not only subject to judgment by people you know, you're subject to judgment by people who are complete strangers who have no idea who you are as a human being. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. all those things together mixed up in a pot can be dangerous. So like, I think if people are really interested in building change, they have to have the direct conversations, you know, and whether that's one-to-one -one or in a small group that seems safe, that's where um, we can see a lot of that transformative justice happen. Mm-hmm how like even with like a one-on-one -on -one conversation how do we start like establishing that this is a safe space for you to you know voice your opinions and your feelings and your ideas well I think if someone isn't invested in like truly being a good listener then they shouldn't be like hosting the conversation <laughs> too, you know what I mean um so first of all people have to be invested in actually hearing the other person out and then yeah then you you create the parameters to to what what is your, like, if I were having a, a difficult conversations with you, I would probably start with, like, what does having a safe um, conversation look like to you? You know, what, what, would that be like, you know, if we were in normal times, not pandemic, would that would you prefer to meet at a park, you know, where we can be like in public and talk? Or would you prefer like to be in a private place? Would you prefer over the phone? Or, and you figure out, like, you really find a, a way to create the space to be safe first and then 
then you have to be ready to commit because these conversations can be really short or they can be really long. Um, but if you're really in it for, for the solutions and for the change, then you have to invest in it fully. And that really means like understanding fully where the other person's coming from. So then, then you can like make truly informed decisions on things you're going to accept and not accept. Mm-hmm. I feel like wanting to listen to someone fully actually takes a lot out of you as a, or, you know, out of me as a person, because it's yeah. like, okay, I have to make sure that, you know, I don't react to what they say immediately or like have my own feelings be involved. Anyways, <laughs> I, I just feel like, you know, like the act of listening might sound like really easy, but it's actually asking for a lot. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. That's why I feel like when people start something, they have to be realistic with their bandwidth. If you don't have the bandwidth to have the real full conversation of something you're opening up, then maybe someone else should be the one to talk about those things and figure it out. You know what I mean? And that's okay. Cause we're not, we can't be everything to all people for every single thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's why I think we, we had talked about like the roles in a social change ecosystem. You know, there are so many roles that someone could play to make a, a positive difference in, in building towards, you know, social justice and, and social change. You know, we need the healers, you know, we need the disruptors who are going to stir the pot and, you know, make things happen. You know, mm-hmm. um, we need the bridge builders. We need the artists, you know, there's all these different roles we can play. And so sometimes when we think about building change, uh, we have to be realistic with what we have thinking about our journey. Like what, what bandwidth do we have? to contribute to build change where where whereas our we all have gifts every single person on this planet has extraordinary special unique gifts so where do where do those gifts match a role best you know um, some people are meant to be the disruptors and that's so dope i mean those people are going to organize the protests and get out there and then hold you know manage these forum discussions and you know the educators out there you know and then there are people who need to bring them food so that they can sustain and make sure they have water and you know what i mean or maybe they need to donate because you know to make sure that that person can keep going so i think all of us like when we think about change you know yeah if you don't really have the bandwidth to like any any person I'm saying, like if anyone doesn't have the to to be able to sit and listen and build towards solutions and offer solutions and listen to solutions, then that's okay because somebody else can maybe is the right person to do it. You don't have mm-hmm. you don't all have to be. And that's why also I think we're really um groups that have just one leader, it's like such a liability because that's no one person can be the needs of an entire group of people. Right. So sometimes like I feel like if a group doesn't have the leadership yet, you should wait until there's enough leadership there to truly be able to take care of the people. But I think teams sometimes they, they can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Right. They can't wait. So they just start a season, whether they have the right leadership or not. Yeah. For a lot of collegiate teams, like because people graduate and then they just like have to find new leadership to replace them every year. And that always is like, or at least from my experience, it's like a very rushed process. It's better to start earlier and then have that mentorship and transition over. I think teams really that operate on that annual level, they need to start really that transition, not one month. Most of them start one month before the end of their season, right? Yeah. That's- the common story, I'm like, dude, I, there's no way I could have learned and got all, like, got a handle of it. It just started like, 
at least two or three months in where they have time to actually be in the operations before the season ends, you know? Yeah. And also like, I think every team needs advisors, you know what I mean? Where if the team is an annual thing, they have a constant, they have advisors that kind of guide them through who are seasoned. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, moving on to our last question. Um, I didn't ask this yet, so I'm going to ask it. What is something that the dance community did well or does well? And then what is something that the dance community could improve on? What is done well is be creative. And like, if they want something, they create it. You know, there's a dance event, they create it. If there's a dance team, people feel like, oh, love, I can create it right away, you know? Mm -hmm. But what we need to do better is we need to make sure that the infrastructure for everything is there before we build start from foundation first and build up like you know make sure before you have a team make sure you have like a really strong um, group of leaders you know um, because what happens is when you rush the process that's when we things are missed that's when things are not inclusive they're not safe mm -hmm. they're not mindful of the brilliant diversity of the people that you're um, serving you know and then we have all these blind spots right so that's what i want last year was like ripped off the band-aid you know <laughs> and like no, now you must stop dancing or you must stop gathering and go on your individual journeys and then figure, go back to starting but way back into identity now and, yeah. and revisit things that, that weren't great, like that it needed to be evolved to begin with, you know? So, and teams that, in, that again, exist in college spaces or in any space that doesn't cater to diversity, then it's, it's incumbent upon you within, you know, what you borrow from to make sure that, <laughs> that you're contributing as well. You yeah. know, so we, you know, if it's hip hop, then, you know, you better, you best believe you better like know about black culture and, um, and contribute to black culture and, bring in black educators, you know, mm -hmm. um, and at the very least, or at, at the very least, be have training from people who directly learn from them. But it's always best to go to the source. Or if you're doing punking, whacking, you know, Victor Manuel is still alive. You can talk to him about the source. And since we know it's, it was born from, you know, nine gay men, um, we need to understand the gay experience, right? Yeah. So yeah, we need to go instead of being so product driven we need to go back again to like being people driven and understand that even the dance art forms we are they started from people uh, a, a certain groups of people and with a certain human lived experience certain music <laughs> certain yeah. history and heritage so we need to go deep whatever we're doing just go deeper Yes. That's that's what the community need, needs to do, and don't be afraid of being. We don't need to be perfect, you know. We 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 just need we need to be lifelong learners that are willing to to continually grow to be good human beings. One last thing that's just on my mind that I feel like I have to talk about. I feel like, you know, in in podcasts I've heard, and you know, in a lot of Instagram posts, there's this there's this lingering question of like, what do we call the thing that we do now? But like. That's still very like a product centered question. Yeah. Right. And then so it's like, maybe we should take a step back and like figure out, you know, who are the people that contributed to the space, what the history was, what the heritage was before we like put a label or a name on our current products. We're all dancers. And right. We're all, we're all dancers and we're all human beings. And, and we have the resources 
to be able to figure out like what our products are if you look for it. If you commit to under getting that understanding, it's out there. But if you don't commit to that understanding, then you'll always be confused, right? Yes. So trust me when I say my generation and, and a lot of, of the people older than me are, they want you to know, you know, they, they want you to have the knowledge, mm-hmm. not all, but so many, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like all my mentor, Don Campbell, like, man, the stories that he told me were gold and life changing. Mm-hmm. You know, I went through the whole competition college dance experience without meeting him, but doing his art form. And I didn't truly do the dance until I got to know, I, I got to know his story and understand why he created it and and how and what it was the the, the people it was created about like the music and the feel of it you know mm. so the answers were always there but I just had to ask for it mm. you know and so yeah don't get discouraged anyone that's listening I know it's a lot don't get discouraged don't get discouraged no one's asking you to go from A to Z no. like tomorrow right. Um, all, all that's, I think for me, I'm asking is that people make effort to get there. And some are going to get there faster because they have more resources or maybe they're in close, closer proximity to the resources that are going to get them to that understanding. And some are, don't have that. So it might take a little bit longer. <laughs> you know, it's all about just the one thing we can't do is be, is do nothing. We can't be apathetic. And, um, and we can't also think we know everything, (laughs) you know what I mean? Once you think you know everything, then that's the danger for everyone, you you and everyone else, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. I think that's like a good place to just end the very long conversation part. (laughs) Yes. No, that was such a great, like answer. Loved it. Uh, let's do the rapid fire questions. So currently what is your comfort song that you go back to? For hype, it's always going to be Treat Em Right by Chub Rock. That song just makes me hype and dance all over my house. Mm-hmm. Um, for relaxation, though, it's definitely like Indiari, like a lot of her songs, like Strength, Courage, and Wisdom. And- <laughs> I'm sorry. I know none of that, but, you know, it's okay. Yeah, I'm, it's all I'm just, good. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what any of these is, but it's fine. Okay. I played it during LTDL until, in leadership tour. Oh. I played both of those because since I love them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oopsies. Okay. Um, what is something that you had to unlearn in the past year? Well, one thing where I feel like I I had to unlearn is thinking that I knew the human my my friend's human lived experiences at the level that I needed to, right? Because I know my friends like relationship, uh, you know, <laughs> issues. I know their friendship things. I know their art. I knew all that, but I think going deeper into like, what was your like human lived experience growing up? You know what I mean? And understand like how, what, what are ways that you felt uh, embraced and what are ways that you felt oppressed and how, how has that shaped your life? Like those things, you know, mm-hmm. um, I definitely know that from some of my close friends, but I was, that's why last year, you know, we all hit that that shame spiral or like, oh, how did I not know, you know, like, that's like my best friend. I did not know. How did I not know that, you know, Um, even just like the trans experience, you know what I mean? Like experiences from outside my immediate circle, like the understanding of those experiences, how important that is, like. 
um, those are things that I guess I had to have a renewed commitment to to dig deeper, go dive deeper into who people are as human beings and also share mine because a lot of people like, you know, they see the happy part of me, you know, but they don't know the struggles mm-hmm. that, um, that also shaped who I am too. So yeah, I think unlearning the idea that that I knew knew everyone really well. <laughs> I definitely relate a lot to that. Okay, what is a mantra that you live by? I have two. The first one is um, give love, receive love, be love. So give love is something I'm very comfortable with. Receiving love is sometimes I'm not, but it's really important to 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 do both um, because you need nourishment. Um, as a human being uh, to be able to give to others right Mm -hmm. and then being in the state of love too you know what I mean I think that's that's always uh, been my mantra for a while and then the other one is I I know I say this in the leadership tools (laughs) of course but you know everyone is a mosaic of many extraordinary parts yes none of us are meant to be one thing or one label or we're, we're a brilliant combination of many extraordinary things. And uh, the more we embrace and nourish those, I think those are the pathways to living like a happy and healthy life. So Love that. Complete the sentence. Dance is? Dance is freedom and connection. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> and then um, complete the sentence. I am? I am a compassionate lifelong learner love 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 that (laughs) also i totally forgot so let's include this really quick what is ltdl and what are your current or future plans oh yes well first of all obviously you're one of my amazing leaders (laughs) um that came through the program so leadership tools for the dance leader um so last year when everything got shut down i had to pull out this pull out this idea that I've always wanted to do. Um, again, that's some of my weaknesses. I'm like always serving others and then, you know, not looking at my own passion projects all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always saw the, seen the need for leaders to be supported. Like I, I wish when I started Cabo Modern, I had a mentor, you know, I just had to like make a whole bunch of mistakes, you know what I mean? And learn along the way, you know? So uh, leadership tools for the dance leader is an offering of ideas um, around the, uh, around the, the themes of mission statement and identity, effective communication, managing um, group dynamics well, self-care. And I also include, uh, Roots Before Branches, which is like the history and heritage of not all, but many dance art forms that exist in our, (laughs) our ecosystem. So, um, so it's a really like an offering of ideas. It's not the end all be all for leadership, but it's an offering of ideas that hopefully will be helpful um, to leaders all around the world. That's the intention. And, and the other intention is also, um, be, especially during this time where everyone is disconnected, I just feel like there's such a need for leaders to feel connected and also feel supported, mm-hmm. you know, especially because they're in the service of others, you know, whether they're a studio owner, a community leader, an educator, a dance company leader, a dance crew leader, you know, they're in the service of others. And so this is a space where um, hopefully they can contribute and share, but they can also receive and, you know, feel like it's a safe space to, um, to share, connect, exchange, 
uh, and be supported. So yes. yeah, something I think is missing. And yeah, it's been 197 leaders so far. Amazing. Uh, yeah, from all around the world. And you know, I mean, what? how would you say the experience was like, when like after you? Ooh, um, that's a great question. I actually haven't thought about it in a while. Um, I feel like for me, I definitely felt like I've had the analytical eye of things. And so that always made me like want to change things. And I've always doubted myself in terms of like being a leader um, because, you know, trauma. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> and I feel like being in that space and like getting the tools that, you know, um, help me become a leader and being in a supportive environment and then always like being able to receive your feedback and your support has really helped me like gain the confidence that I need to be a leader or to at least try to step up to that role so it's been super great for me and I'm super like super super grateful that I got to have this opportunity so thank you yeah. I mean all I want for any of my leaders that go through is as to feel like they're deserving and capable of doing what you know living out their purpose and so that's why again like right when you asked me, I'm like, yes, Justine, <laughs> I will be here because this is definitely, um, this is like congruency, like a, a, a coming together of uh, many aspects of your brilliance. So, Oh my God, thank you. Okay, lastly, activism awareness. Is there an org that you want to raise attention to? And, you know, what is their cause, their mission? I, I thought about this because, you know, I'm involved with Culture Shock and I love Culture Shock. Uh, <laughs> sure. But the one I want to mention actually is Ladies of Hip Hop. Because I think, first of all, it's it's women-led um, organization you know, that's focused on uh, appreciation and of hip hop and advocacy for marginalized communities and building equity and liberation for all through hip hop, right? And the director, Michelle Bird, I've just watched her work over the years, and she's just such an inspiring person. We haven't actually connected yet, um, but I mean, like in person or anything, but I definitely intend to. But um, yeah, I'm really looking at like organizations like that where they're just not as much. How do we level the playing field of representation? You know, yes. we need more female <laughs> leaders. Absolutely. And uh, female women of color also that's like wow you know so ladies of hip-hop they do amazing things they they offer free classes to young um, girls and 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 then they they offer education and events for all women-led and but it's it's for everyone and so I just love what they're doing I love their mission and yeah Oh my God. I would definitely check that out. Uh, if you could, after this, like link me either their handle or their website, that'd be great. And then I'll put it in like the bio. Anyways, thank you so much for this time. I'm, that was so much, like, that was so much greatness. I'm, I'm so inspired and like re-energized to, you know, go and be a leader, hopefully. So thank you. You are a leader. You are a leader. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All I have to say is, wow. I just love his energy and every single time I talk to him, I just feel so, so much better about the world. And I feel like we touched upon a couple of really hard to talk about conversations. 
And even though they're really hard things, like he gives me the strength and the optimism to continue and hope for the better. So thank you so much, Arnell, for everything that you do and for always sharing your light with not just me, but a bunch of other people and continuously spreading love in a non-toxic way. I'm here for it and I'm really appreciative of it. Thank you so much for listening and I hope to see you next week.